Hello and welcome to How to Win the Lottery, Season 5, Unadaptable, Episode 11, Book 11, Book 10, Episode 11. Book okay. 9. No. What? Book 10. Yeah. Episode f- 11. 14. Wittgenstein's Mistress by David Marks, and I'm Joey Lewandowski. I am T-U-L-S-A. Sweet. On the return. Welcome back. Thanks. You've been gone. You missed a poll that you conducted from Good. afar. Oh, I know. I know. That flash entered the speed force. Were you in the speed force or were you somewhere else? I was not in the speed. What are you talking about? I don't know, man. I was helping on the family farm. Oh. Where is that in? I was driving cattle. Cool. So you live up to your name? Yes. Cool. Yes. There is the the keyboardist. I don't know if you know this keyboardist in Taylor Swift's band is Karina D. Piano. Her last name is D. Piano. And they're like, she only could have been one thing. So you being named Tulsa, Oklahoma, you could only be a farmhand. Do you know, I don't know why I remember this, but this, maybe because it was so funny to me at the time, but uh, the Honorable Judge Matt Early mm-hmm. um, had a long string of victories in the Belmar Sandcastle contest. I don't know if that is, is that like an annual like Yeah, it's a big it's a big oh sandcastle man, I can see him being so good he, at that. No, he's very good at it. Of course and, he and, is. And uh former tub member was also part of this crew that I don't built, know if I've ever met him, but yeah. Well, okay. he was also part of the crew that built these sandcastles. I have to believe his name, but not the honorable. And so yeah. yeah. And so after after winning these contests, Matt gave an interview with the newspaper mm-hmm. and they asked him what his name was. And he told him his name was Matt Piano. <laughs> so he's in the newspaper being interviewed under the name Matt Piano. Should I bleep that name? <laughs> no. That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's is is that a better or worse interview than our other former member uh being interviewed at the gas station? Well, as you can see, I drive a Prius. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't remember any of the content of the interview itself, just that he had he He was deadly earnestly serious. Yeah. No, I know. Oh, you mean Matt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the tr- review is great. Was Matt in like high school or college or after college? Or, like how long ago was this? I don't know. It must have been college. Okay. It's exciting though. That's very, it's like the kind of thing like I, you know, think about like who's good at building sandcastles. But like, oh no, Matt would be very good at building sandcastles. Yeah, you can picture it in your head. He's yeah. like, you know. Handsy and artistic and driven and yeah. beachy. Uh-huh. Oh, oh yeah. They, I, I remember they, they did a, uh, like you, a, but uh, you said he won a string of these. Yeah, they won one year with a um a griffin. Ooh. So like a lion with wings. Sure, they made yeah, a yeah, fucking yeah. lion with wings. It's insane. On the beach. And then I think another year they, they made a Buddha. That's really cool. Yeah. Shout out to him. I don't know if we're going to talk to him this episode because like the, the covers are weird. It's just text on yeah. the cover. Yeah. But Wittgenstein's Mistress, back on that experimental literature. Yeah. Grind. By David Markson, who I was advised by my friend Eric, who is a PhD candidate at the University of Albany. He advised me to refer to David Markson as Albany's greatest novelist. Okay. So he's from Albany. Cool. Yeah. Uh, shout out to him. Yeah. This is a book that I... Well, I, okay. First question. What's it about? It's about the last living... Uh, human, not not even human, last living entity in the world, recording um her thoughts and memories of a life lived, though not really her life. Mm. It's a tough, it's a tough book to summarize. There is a, there is an, an answer to that question where it's just a woman tries to name her cats. Okay. And that's what it's, the book is about. It's a book about. about a woman trying to name her cat. Sure. Um, this is a book that I did not enjoy reading, but I appreciated what it was doing. Uh-huh. And I think you had said to me before I had finished it that like around like with like 10% or so to go, like it unlocks, you figure out what it's about. And like I didn't explicitly see that coming, but I knew it was about grief. Yeah. And you learn very, very like in the first couple of pages that like she, her son is dead. Yeah. I was not necessarily blindsided, but I thought it was, I thought the specific kind of twist and, you know, thing that he puts on why this is happening, why she's writing and how she, why she feels the way she does is very not unique, but like uniquely done in a way. Like the whole, like, you don't have to be alone to be alone. Like that kind of thing is. Yeah. It's very profound. It's very hard. That part, the, uh, when, when 
Because he also sort of transitions into not being necessarily Kate, but being like the author of the text. So mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. also in that part, seems like he's speaking as David Markson a little bit, which is like this idea that, yeah, I'm the last living human. There are no other people left, yeah. but is this loneliness different than the loneliness that I experienced when I was surrounded by people? The answer is maybe no. And even if the answer is yes, the the net is like it doesn't really actually matter if it is different because you're still alone. Yeah, yeah. Because this is for about 225 pages or so, a woman misremembering history and art. Right. And her own life. Mm-hmm. And it kind of reminds me of like the pilot episode of The Last Man on Earth, the Will Forte show. Yeah. Did you ever watch that or no? no? I think it's the only episode of that show that Matt, J- Honorable Judge Matt, really liked because it like abandoned his premise. Because like you can't just have a show where it's just him, like he meets people, like there's other people around. But Matt, I think, famously, loudly, vocally loves the pilot and like hates I would, the rest of the th- show. That sounds like exactly the path that, that, that I would take with that. Because, uh, yeah, if you abandon your premise so early, because it's like that's a hard premise yeah. and you buy into that premise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then if, if if the people who made the show aren't buying into that premise, then it's like, I don't, I no longer want to watch that show. But, but like I think it, that, it, that's a Lord Miller show. It right? is a Lord Miller show. Yeah. Like if he races through like living in the White House and buying all this art and, or not buying all this, like finding all this art and bring it in and like, just like, you know, doing all these things, mm-hmm. the way that Kate is describing, you know, going to these different cities and like, you know, setting fires and like going to every museum and like, like basically taking months or years to do all this stuff. Right. And then the last man on earth basically does in like 18 minutes of a pilot. Yeah. So, you know, it, it becomes a different thing, but like, this is, you know, I don't know, but I appreciated what it was doing. And I liked the style of it more than I actually, cause I didn't enjoy reading this. Cause like, not that it was difficult. Cause I think it's a very quick and sort of not easy to read, but quick to read, but like, there's no logical, like stopping or start. Like there's no chapters. It's just, it's a string of like, there's even like part, parts where she's like, I'm going to step away from the keyboard or the, the typewriter for a little while. And it's like, it took me six hours, but like, it's like the next line. Like there's like, just like huge gaps of time that are the next line without like a break at all. I'm just like, this is. Yeah. I, well, that's interesting. Cause it kind of folds time in the same way that f- time would be distorted if you were by yourself. Right. Yeah. Like how, who, how quickly do things go by if there's no nothing or how slowly or how impossible is time to gauge when you're, when you have no, uh, Events, mm-hmm. people, conversations to to no way to demarcate sort of, time, right? Yeah, you had read this before. Uh yeah. Did you did you like did you read this like for a class? No. Or did you like you just you sought it out? Yeah, I have you read it other out. work that he's written? Uh, yeah, um, he's got four novels after this that are all um of similar style to this. Uh, they're called I think they're called like the Note Card Quartet or okay. something like that. Where it's it's like you can almost imagine the way that he's writing this book is on each index card he's writing a fact about an artist, mm-hmm. and then there's almost no connective plot right. tissue. Like this has the, the 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 bones of the plot in this book is that we have a woman mm-hmm. who starts the novel um, writing messages. I mean, the very first line is like, sometimes I used to leave messages in the street. Mm-hmm. And essentially she's writing messages for people to find yep. in case there are other humans around. And um, we learn that there are there's nobody around and that she's never going to find anybody. But she keeps thinking she's seeing people or things. Yeah. And, and she's like leaving these things so that people can recognize it because there is also this sense. And this is like, I think this is a very, very profound novel about loneliness. Um, but there is this sense that in looking to be recognized with these messages in the street, what she's doing is she's claiming that she exists, mm-hmm. right? Cause you need that recognition from right. people. And if you, if you don't get that recognition, then do you really exist? Right. So she's writing as, as, uh, as a way to preserve an existence that eventually is not going to, to happen anymore. Right. So that's why also she keeps returning to these authors and they're like, whereas, um, they're all gone. Like, mm-hmm. It seems to have disappeared. It's not like there are corpse, corpses laying around or anything. Um, what you have of these people like Rembrandt or William Gaddis 
or T.E. Shaw. Like these are all people that she's she's often misremembering their names. Yeah. I think when she says T.E. Shaw, she sort of means T.E. Lawrence sometimes. When she says William Gaddis, she means this other guy whose name is kind of like William Gaddis. Well, she calls Stan Usual, Stan Usual. Yeah, so there's, there's all these misremembered things. So it's like long-term, the things that are remembered are not these people's life work. Mm-hmm. She's not talking about the work of Rembrandt. She's not talking about the work of... William Gaddis or, or any of these people, but she's talking about like sort of the gossip of their lives. Like supposedly this person was walking around in the street and he, you know, had sugar in his pockets and blah, blah, blah. To feed the horses that he would pass. Or like the whole, like the, the title of this Wittgenstein's mistress, like there's a line where she's just like, he didn't even have a mistress. He was gay. Like there's like the title is like a Mm -hmm. misremember. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. I, uh, it's, I had a point that I wanted to get. Oh, oh, cause like, when you're saying, you know, about existing, like when it gets to the end and the author is talking about like you can either have a phone or not have a phone, but if no one's calling you, what's the difference, right? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. you can if, – if no one knows or remembers or cares that you, you're around, you might as well be alone, which yeah. is really sad. Uh-huh. And do you think like – so like the the wiki for this is not very long. The only thing I could see was that this was – this manuscript was, was rejected 54 times. Yeah, sure. Before finally someone approved it and then it became like this instant critical darling – David Foster I think, I think, I think the, Dal- the Dalkey Archive, or the, is the Dalkey Archive the one that published it originally? I or they, they, I, they, I, I, know, they, I know they publish it now. Have they done other books? That that name sounds familiar, and I don't remember why. Well, Requiem by Curtis White oh, is a Dalkey right. Archive book. Okay, so they're, they're into like weird. Yeah, yeah, they publish stuff that other places okay. would, would not necessarily publish. But like, do you think like, I guess, I mean, I don't know if it's it's worth like exploring this, because I don't know if you know the answer, but like is, did David Markson feel like this? Was he like... Did he feel this alone? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I guess there's got to be some part of you where, like, you you have a thing that you think is great and, like, no one agrees with you. Like, that's got to be isolating and, like, frustrating, right? Even if you don't feel, like, alone. Yeah. It's just, like, I, you're alone and, like, thinking this is good. It's the Herman Melville, right? Herman mm-hmm. Melville wrote Moby Dick and everyone was like, go fuck yourself. This shit sucks. And it was like he had to go back to – I mean, after that he wrote Confidence Man and he wrote Pierre – both of which are like Pierre is kind of a satire of um, like the writing world and, and things like that. Um, but he was essentially chased out of literature and ended up doing like journalism and doing just like regular jobs and stuff. Um, and he died like. Oh, Moby Dick was posthumous? No, I, no, Moby Dick was published while he was alive. Nobody, just nobody, nobody cared about okay. it. And so he died like thinking of himself as like, you know. And a nothing that's a, a, a total failure yeah and now it's like moby dick is one of the books that's like this is a great american novel this is one of like maybe five books that people bring up as the great american novel and that's echoed or mirrored in this like a couple times where she talks about like artists who never sold a painting in their lifetime or like yeah, exactly, artists who yeah. sign their name on other people's mm-hmm. work so that they could get sold like about like do you do you exist if nobody cares about your work yeah yeah so you get this yeah like, I think, like, stuff like that, like, resonates, but, like, the pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of, like, just talking about artists that I don't really know. And, like, I I sort of struggled with, like, the why of it all. Well, okay. So here's what here's what I'll say about that. We can talk about structure mm-hmm. first. Like, the structure of the novel is is almost um, structured like a spiral, right? Or if not spiral, if, if not, if it's not structured like a spiral, it's structured in a very recursive way. Like there is a point that'll be made and then five pages later, 10 pages later, um, she'll say, oh, remember that thing that I said? That's not true. I don't, I don't know yeah. why I thought that. Right. And, and, and there's this like continuing return, sometimes in tight spirals, sometimes in wider looping ones, but there's always this return to, to theme, return to like, you know, the same 40 people or so. And always sort of like moving in and out of that with misremembered names and and all of that is thematic. But, um, you know, this idea of free association, like she she mentions one person and th- that name sort of like bounces her to another thought. And, and you know, she th- that's the structure of the book. But in um, you mentioned David Foster Wallace earlier because he's one of the guys that really championed this mm-hmm. book after it came out. Um he wrote an essay about it called uh, "The Empty Plenum," um, and in it, he but this book about the whole quartet, about this the book. quartet. Okay, this book's not part of the quartet. There are four, oh, four it's books. this, and then there's another yeah, four. Yeah. Okay, okay, got it. So he refers to this style as "quote deep nonsense." 
Okay. Um, and Deep Nonsense is, uh, I think that I'm getting this right. Um, the essay is like pretty difficult. Um, but he says like the emotional agenda of this book is entirely subtext. It's not like you you don't get it on reading the actual words. Right. Well, the, well, the, 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 the words, the prose itself is only like second order important. So it's like you you read the words and it's so strange to say like you read a book and the thing that's important in the book is not the words that are being used. Um, but it's like the way that they're – the structure in which they're presented and the sense of isolation that you can get from it because she's essentially just like saying facts. Which – is it a fact if it's not even right? Like she's saying things in okay, the, in the yeah, style yeah. of facts, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is – so then we get into something that is fairly difficult, uh, and and something that I don't. I have. Is I this have, still Wallace or is this or is this? No. Well, I mean, it's Wittgenstein. Oh, okay. right. Because Wittgenstein wrote a um, thing called the Tractatus, uh, which is the only thing that he published when he was alive. Uh, he published something posthumously called uh, Philosophical Investigations. And in Philosophical Investigations, he rejects a lot of what he wrote in the, the Tractatus. But um, within that, the style of this book takes its style from that, which is like one-sentence paragraphs. Okay. So so the Tractatus is written um, just in, in a series of statements. Mm-hmm. And, and the statements build on one another logically. Um, he's using language... Uh, Wittgenstein's deal was that the world is made up of language, right? And that all problems are language-based problems. Here we go problems. again. Here we go again. Right? And and you see this in- What so, era? Is he like 1800s, 1900s? No, no, no. He he uh, uh, um, he fought in World War I. Oh. Greatest generation. He wrote- he, Well, he's Austrian, so- Oh, on the other <laughs> side of the world. <laughs> Wait, I don't. I, I actually don't know who he fought for because he, he, he went. He went to Cambridge. Okay. So I don't think. Okay. I yeah. I don't think he. I don't think he fought with the Germans in World. I think he fought against the Germans in World War One. So so um, the the very first statement, which is a statement that comes up in this book, uh, uh, multiple times, is the world is everything. That is the case. Right, which posits a world of discrete and independent facts that make logical sense. Right. That just like Tulsa has a huge wang. <laughs> there, there is your discrete logical fact. Right. Joey eats Cheerios every morning for breakfast. Discrete logical fact. Sure. Right. And so Kate is desperate to connect these facts with language, which is the only way that we know how to describe Tulsa's wang <laughs> or Joey's breakfast eating habits. She can never accomplish this. And that is what's lonely about this book. That she cannot make these facts that she knows come together in a logical way to make sense. Partially because the facts elude her. She can't she can't put them together. Right. In a way that makes sense because she doesn't – she never knows the full thing of what happened because what she has of those facts is language-based and language – And it's like secondhand hearsay and gossip and yes, whatever. Yeah. Language as a technology is uh, – it makes up the entire world but your connection to language is that because it has to be embraced by a entirety – Right, the English language is embraced by the entire English language speaking population, mm-hmm. right? And the English language speaking population cannot, for example, agree on what um, orange is. Have you ever been involved in that conversation? Yeah. Over whether or not a pair of fucking pants is orange. Mm-hmm. The dress, the the blue and black and right. Golden. It's absurd. Yeah. That's the the sadness is that we don't have access to the same reality. None of us have access to the same reality because language inevitably shortchanges us, even though all of reality is language. Well, because because it's because it's man made. Is that the is that the reason? Yes, yes, and no. It's it's it is man made. Maybe I mean, obviously, like you know, 
there's like the Chomsky language is a gene, language is genetics. I would say that our access to it is limited by humanity. Okay. Because we don't share a consciousness. It's very like, yeah, you can get real like cogito ergo sum about this. We don't we don't all have access to the same reality because we don't have all have access to the same language. Because there are slight deviations in what each word means to each of us. And there are slight deviations in the platonic ideal of whatever thing exists. Mm-hmm. If I say chair, right? For some reason, chair is always is always the example when we're talking about uh, um, semiotics. I don't know why, but it's like a, something's chairness. Okay. Right? But if I say chair, right, when you picture a chair in your head, you're not picturing the same chair that I am. No, I'm picturing the chair that Clint Eastwood spoke to. Even though we both – even though we both know what a chair is, mm-hmm. right? But there, there are slight, there are enough deviations in that to make our existences different. If, if you and I separated and rebuilt the world based entirely on language, right? Even though you and I have shared remarkably similar life experiences, in that we're both, uh, you know, middle class guys from New Jersey, um, we've, white guys, we, we've, as we established we've in, been, our, in we've our intro, been, we've been to a lot of the same places. We we know a lot of the same people. But if we were both to try to describe the world, if we were both the last living person in the world mm-hmm. and tried to describe the world because of our different facilities with language, because of our different um, – If someone were trying to recreate it based on our description, it would wind up too, too – totally Wildly, different. Yeah, wildly yeah, yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. So so language is is like necessarily deficient we're, and, and we f- find a very difficult time even finding common ground in that. And, and there's something that is relentlessly – relentlessly disconnected well so like i think you could i think i can see why that would be depressing or disconnecting but there's also something beautiful about that explain the beauty well like I you don't... could if you like the, there, there's such a world of possibilities that like that we can both be right in how we define a chair yeah and then there's mm-hmm. something that like if everything just had one specific like if if we if all seven or eight billion people or whatever people on the planet like all picture the same chair yeah. when you thought chair mm-hmm. it'd be kind of boring yeah, I think there is something nice to the deviation, and like I think you can choose to be like, like I think there's the whole. And I don't know if this is a direct corollary or not, but like thinking about like us being like, if we are alone in space, right? You can be like, that is the most isolating, terrifying. Yeah, what's the point of anything? But also on the other, on the flip side, like the same thing, you could be like, well, that means that we're special in some kind of way, and like everything we did do matters because like it was meant to be here or whatever. Like it's the same fact quote-unquote fact yeah. right that we are alone even though that's not true but just in this in this sense you can just look at it two different ways yeah well there's i mean uh, there's also some sort of deep comfort in um when you get less specific about it um because for example as we've discussed as we discussed with stephen hall if i say shark hunt we all picture mm-hmm. the same shark hunt right we're, we're, we're all picturing brody and quint and hooper on that boat Looking for the big guy. The super big guy. Yeah. Shaw is the super big guy. Yeah. That's, this is, right? There's something comforting about that. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, language can bring us together. When, like we talked about, too. when we talked about Jaws on Too Fast, I was trying to explain that and see if anybody came up with a better one. And the closest one we got was someone saying, like, shower murder. You think psycho? Well, okay. But shower murder is such a. Specific? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But so shark hunt. I guess so, kind of. Because they were thinking shower, you say psycho, and just like, I'm like, you don't think, there's all sorts of different things, like shower murder. Shark cunt. <laughs> what is the, so, okay, so I think in a worse version of this book, yeah. I was fearing a twist, and I didn't think it was going to be like this, because I think that, like, if it were dumb like this, you would not have had us read it. Uh-huh. But, like, this is what's going through a woman's head as she's, like, dying, like, as she's, like, on yeah, her bed yeah. or whatever. Like, there's a thing where it's, like, she's jumbling up facts, and, like, she's remembering uh-huh. her, not her family, but she's remembering her life and whatever, and, like, it's going to pan out, and we're going to be, like, in a hospital room. It's, like, she's gone, doctor. So I'm, like, I was just, like, worried about that, but, like, I like where it, I like where it winds up, but it, it makes me wonder, like, why, the why of any of it, kind of. You know what I mean? I guess that's, that's also sort of the point. Yeah, I, I mean, I it, it's like I normally hate this kind of twist, but, like, there is a real chance that it's all in her head. So am I – so okay, and, so – And one of the reasons why you can tell that it may – like, maybe if there's any evidence that it's all in her head, 
It's that she is in New York City, Paris, Athens. The most famous museums in the world. Like, and how is she getting to is she is she taking a boat by well, herself she's, across she's, the she, sea? She mentions boats, she drives a right, bunch of places. It seems but like, yeah. Right. It seems like the fancy if it's it's like Max and Wild. It seems things. like it would take decades yeah, it's, to do it's, what it's, she's it's doing. It's Max and Wild things. He he's is an overnight trip within his imagination. So are we so like the the sort of and I don't even know if objective is the right word here, but the objective facts seems like she had this lover, they had a kid, the kid died. Yeah. They broke up maybe because the kid died, possibly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before the kid died, they had they got a cat. They were struggling to name the cat. She wrote letters to a bunch of famous people, the same letter. She Xeroxed and sent it out. And she's just kind of like misremembering that. But like that's all that like and then maybe she like set her lover's house on fire, possibly. She talks about like yeah. coating his room in gasoline or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like And and we can like an interesting thing there is that the son and the father uh, both have names that are often misremembered, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's Lucy, Lucy and Adam are the, and sometimes yeah, sometimes it's Simon, sometimes there's Terry, mm-hmm. right? Lu- Lucian is not the the father. Lucian is the, the lover, the, the lover. Yeah, that comes after. But Adam is sometimes Simon, and Adam is sometimes Terry, and Adam is. I have Simon, Adam, and Terry. And then the kid's name is Simon sometimes and sometimes Adam. Um, I think the son, I think she says she better buried her son named Adam. I think that's like, but who knows if that's right. 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 And then the, then the father sometimes, and then Adam of course is, is Adam Mm -hmm. like is in the first man. Um, But like, that's all like the, even like, even if those might not be true, like that's all the objective facts that we can even like glean from her history. Yeah. And you, but you, but you have, you have a woman so, so isolated and, um, removed from from uh the context of life by grief that she copes via via these remembrances of of other lives lived yeah um which makes sense mm-hmm. um i mean that's i i think often we use art to retreat from sad things sure uh and and can get obsessed with people's people's lives i remember when uh a time when I was like uh, bereft, like in a really, really, really dark, bad place. I remember um, it was at the exact same time that uh, what's his name from um, <clears throat> Talking Dead and Chris Hardwick. Yeah, when he like got canceled. Oh, and I was like, I'm just gonna fucking deep dive on this, and I just like spent days just like <laughs> reading. I mean, it was like four in the morning, and I was just like reading about Chris Hardwick. And I don't, even, I don't care. I couldn't even remember his name right now. Like Chris Hardwick has no bearing on my life at all. I never listened to his podcast. Never listened to anything. And I was just like went deep on learning about Chris Hardwick because it was like you know something in the news that would distract sure. me from. Like a very, very deep depression. And also so. if you like snapped out of it, you'd be like, I can drop all of this and not worry about it ever again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's another good point. Do you think, is there anything to, I was trying to figure out if there's like an irony here, there's a deeper meaning here, but she's talking about the Iliad and the Odyssey and like how it couldn't have possibly been written by a woman because no woman in the book gets her period. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff about periods in this book. But then uh-huh. this novel, which is written by a man, yeah, is... One of the main themes is its central protagonist getting her period. Yeah. Well, I'll say this, that uh, uh, the Odyssey being written by a woman is a, a real theory Yeah. by, uh, I think, Robert Graves is the name of the critic. Okay. Um, and the reason why um, I think that is because they're like uncharacteristically powerful women. In the Odyssey, and it pays a, a like uncharacteristic amount of attention to the agency that female characters have in the Odyssey, um, which is completely unique for the time that that it was that it was written. I and she she I think she miscredits the the um, I forget who she says claims that Homer was a woman, but I think she miscredits it because she doesn't. Of course she does because she doesn't, yeah, she, she doesn't get anything. She right. doesn't say Robert Graves. Um, and, and this, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, there's a lot in there about Helen, right? Helen, mm-hmm. Helen from the, the Iliad. Of Troy or not of Troy or whatever, right? Helen of Troy, who is like, if you think, um, grammatically, um, women within the context of, of grammar, you have the, like the two great, uh, 
female characters that are representative of subject and object, like Helen of Troy is is the object, is the grammatical object of history, right? She has no purpose or agency. She is kidnapped because of her beauty. She is kidnapped as something to be prized mm-hmm. and, and kept within um, a cage and and all of the actions of the world happen around uh, the, the theft of this object. Yeah. Um, no one asks her how she feels about it. Right? No. <laughs> She's just, there's just a war over her. And then the, the great subject of um, female grammar is Eve. Things don't happen to Eve, right? Eve is the, is the progenitor of all destruction. Yeah. Right. She, she does the thing that happens. So gr- grammatically you have, um, I'm not actually, uh, yeah, where am I going with this? Well, than, I was just wondering like if, if, if the author writing about periods is undermining his own character and if it matters, and I don't know that it matters. Yeah. This is actually, yeah, that's interesting. Um, why is the author making this character a woman? Do you I don't think? know. I don't know. Like, why, why would it be a woman and not a man? And and like, is it just that he can write about periods? I don't know. Like, that's what's that, that's what I can't figure out. Where I'm always, I think, for any number of societal reasons, when I when I'm reading a book until I'm told otherwise, I'm picturing like the main character is like a white dude because like that's how I see the world, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And I'm also like, I know that David Markson is a white dude, was a white dude, uh-huh. and so I'm also assuming based on that that it's like that. Not that people can't write other ways or whatever. Um, like one of my favorite books that you haven't read that we haven't done for the podcast yet is like Story of My Life, which is written by a dude. But like, yeah. and like I, I love, and I don't know if that's like accurate to the female experience, but like I love that narrative, sure, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But like when I was like, yeah, I'm a woman, I'm just like, hold on, what? And then when it goes into like, not to, how do I say this without getting in trouble? Not to like minimize women to thing, but like having a period is like one of the most like distinctly female experiences, right? And so like to have that be such a central part premise to the character's arc, like, cause she's talking about like a lot, having a period, fresh underwear, all this different stuff, right? Not wearing, and it's like, what are you getting at here, man? Yeah. Um, and I don't know why. And I don't know if it's good it's, or bad or in, well, I, irrelevant. No, I, I, I think that it's kind of, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's great. I, I, I think that it's like a, a, it's like he's trying on, um, a personality, but doesn't understand how, like the, how that personality works. Right. Like you actually, this is in, in, in that Wallace essay, uh, the empty plenum, he talks about this a lot. He's like, if you were writing a science fiction novel, because he's, he's critical of Markson for these exact reasons. He's critical of him as a, as writing a female character, choosing to, to write a female character. And then in choosing to write a female character to talk about having his period so much, Mm -hmm. having her period so much. Um, but this is something that he called them out for. Okay, good. Yeah, he, okay. well, his his point was like if you were writing a novel about an alien, and that alien were always talking about their antenna and their scales, mm-hmm. it would be inauthentic because the antenna and the scales right. were functionally part of that alien. They don't even think about it anymore. Yeah, the same way that like. If I were writing a novel, I wouldn't talk about having ears or mm-hmm. having lips. Right. Right. It's just a thing that is is yeah. within that context. So you wouldn't like every 10 pages be like, oh, and my period. Ah. I mean, the only thing, the only reasoning for it that I found in the novel at all mm. was to put her, and this isn't even specifically accurate or not, but to put her at a certain age. Yeah. And to make you back up through all the things she's talking about be like this can't possibly be real although it could be like if if she's like literally always on the move you could make your way around the world between the time of like when she's like 20 or whatever and, and say 60 still you know like she's like yeah. who knows right i don't know anything about anything and i'm not gonna go further than that but i think i was like is it like just saying like she's still like a relatively young woman and she's living these like decades of experiences because it doesn't seem like she's just like in the museum for like a day. It seems like she like sets up shop there for a yeah. while. So it's not yeah, like yeah. it's just like I was here, did that check off the bucket list right. onto the next thing. But she's in like all of these places for a long time. Yeah. And it's a way it could. Yeah. It could be a way of tracking time. Right. Because 
like within you, you have that thing where she's like obviously a uh, pre PMS. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's such a weird grammatical structure. Premenopausal. Pre, pre, huh? Yeah, she, she's yeah she's pre, yes she's sorry pre premenopausal. Um, she's obviously premenopausal. Yeah, I, I think there might be a way to say that it's it's this method of tracking time so that we can maybe further the argument that it's all happening in her head. Because it, it just it, it struck me as odd. Number one, a man writing so much about a woman having her period. But number two, she makes such a point about like a couple times about the Odyssey couldn't possibly be written by a woman because there's no period. But like it's like the same thing you're doing. It's like there's got to be like he's he's trying to comment on that in some way. And I don't know what the point of it is, but, you know. I don't want to get hung up on a thing that like. No, it's. I think it's worth getting hung up on. Um, yeah, this book I think was the first. I. I, I uh, Have you read this more than once? Is this like the second time? This is the second time. Yeah. Okay, but I read it. I don't know, ten years ago or something. I want to say this was the first time I ever heard someone actually use the phrase menses. Mm. Like that's not something that feels like archaic in a way, right? Saying oh, I have my menses. That's not something that people really say. I've never, like I've never, or like, I've never actually heard anybody say that in the prime time sitcom from the two thousands. Yeah, like we're gonna be cute. Like I'm thinking, like new girl, mm-hmm. adorable. Mm-hmm. Show that I like. Anyway, um, what else about Wittgenstein? Yeah, the, the the funniest thing in in New Girl is the um that game that they play. True American. True American. Yeah, that game. That's funny. It's awesome. Yeah, people have figured out how to do the rules. Uh, well, I don't like that sort of thing, but there's a brand new Kindle version of this book that just came out. Okay. So I don't know if they're like reevaluating because I think this is one that was like relatively hard to get your hands on yeah. for a while. No, I had a hard, I I have a physical copy of it and I couldn't find it. And then I had to get you to, to figure out how to get me a digital copy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we're recording in advance, but like if there, this is out there now. So like if this is a book that like, you found if you found this episode first of all welcome welcome to the thirty thousand strong but if you found this because like you would always want to read this you're like i can't find it like there's a new one that came out like this month like in july all this episode might come out in august i don't know but yeah it's it's like it's always weird when like we accidentally sort of back our way not into the not that this is by any stretch of the imagination the zeitgeist but like that we accidentally time a release of a thing like because half this season is specifically timing it for like these things are about to come out and then this is the other half where it's like Coincidentally. Yeah. So let's talk about adaptation. Okay. Yeah, sure. And it can't even possibly work. There's no way it could work. No. I was thinking like I just saw anything because it's European, but like La Jetée of just like trying to like a weird... Because this is post-apocalyptic in a way that doesn't really feel post-apocalyptic. Because well, like it seems like she has like all the comforts of everyday living. It's very it's very postmodern in that it is um it denies us the pleasure of like an inherently dramatic backdrop, right? It says like smash cut in media res, woman alone naked writing messages in the street to people. But for 250 pages she's just puttering around. And, she's then, like, and then nothing happens, she's right? Like, I'm it's on my like, I'm on my typewriter. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go get some water. I'm shitting through a hole uh-huh. in the second floor of my house. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. There are some beautifully. There is shit again. Like, like there is it, it, this. Bring it back to our, our central theme of this podcast. The, there, there is this uh, um, really poetic image of her lighting pages of books on fire and letting them go into the sky in order to sort of mimic the, the uh, a seagull. Um, and she keeps thinking she sees a seagull. Right. Which, by the way, I think... Uh, um, well, it's not entirely a Homeric simile, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say that it's a Homeric simile because it fits so neatly in with the themes of this novel and mm-hmm. the, and the repetition of going back and forth to Homer. Because there's that one section in the Odyssey, which is like the prime example of the Homeric simile, which is using the seagull skipping along the water to describe the way that Hermes runs across the water to deliver the message to Calypso that she has to set Odysseus free. So I I, I like that there's like this extended um, simile of the, of the lighted pages floating into the sky, like a seagull floats in, you know, so, mm-hmm. so it's, I, I, it's, it's not describing something extraordinary. So it's not, it isn't necessarily a Homeric sim- simile, but 
I, I, I think there's like a connective tissue there that makes me satisfied. Is my I, voice really sexy? I feel like it's, se- <laughs> I feel like I have like a kind of sexy voice right now. Cause I think like what is, so we've done episodes that we thought were unadaptable, but underworld, very adaptable speedboat. Mm-mm. Blood and guts is kind of somewhat. And then raw shark definitely is like yeah. to the point where Stephen Hall's like, I'm writing it. Uh, yeah. But like, so we've done, this is the fifth of six that we've said are unadaptable and at least two are just like, no, you could do it. But like this, like you could do it, but it would just be a woman at her, at her typewriter for like 90 minutes. With, with what a voiceover. Yeah. It'd be bad. But like, it's not like, cause I was trying to think of like, like it wouldn't work, but I was like, is this actually like, is this, the, is this more unadaptable than speedboat or blood and guts? I don't know, it's, yeah. It's more unadaptable than both. Cause not, cause literally nothing happens. Yeah. Other than her, like walking around in between, it's just recollections. It's 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 what um unless you include like the flashbacks of her like in a museum, but you still have voiceover. Yeah, or like oh, here's like a, a cut to to uh, uh, Rembrandt sitting in a chair with a cat in his lap. It's like why would you do that? Is well, so I think I was thinking Lancia takes like I think you could kind of like, which is just a series of pictures. Like yeah, La- La- Day is almost an epistolary film, which is could, interesting. Which is why I was thinking, like, you could kind of do, like, you just go from picture of person to picture of person to picture of yeah, person. Okay. Fun. But, like... Why don't we try it? You can. Uh, I don't know how to do that stuff. Just get, get a bunch of pictures. Yeah. Structure them in order. Uh-huh. Read this all, read the whole book out loud. Mm-hmm. And then get, like, iMovie going. All right. You could probably do it in a couple weeks. All right, Maybe. Be cool. A YouTube video that I'd get sued immediately for. By who? The Dolky Archive Press, who owns the rights to David Markson's novels. Mm. But you'd be a folk hero for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It would actually probably raise our stock dramatically. I think you should do it. Okay. I will. Did you picture it in any kind of way, like in terms of like a, in terms of the classic adaptation well, thing? Or I, mean, just- I mean, I think that the, the, they're striking images. I think the idea of a, of a woman in, in an empty city like the same way that you, there's that scene in Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise in an empty city. You mean or, the best scene in that movie? Or Killian Murphy in 28 Days Later yeah. walking through an empty city. And so there are these striking images of her painting on the street or of her, you know, using a stick to write on the beach only to have the water roll up and wash her words away, which connects to, to obviously, like a lot of the themes. Mm-hmm. Um, or like I said, there's the poetic image of the of the book pages uh, on fire. Yeah lifting up into the into the sky um again what we have is is disappearing text yeah uh so over, like you have like some great poetic images but overall it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't all come together it doesn't make sense right it, it doesn't make sense visually it's not a visual novel it's not yeah okay I, I don't i don't think you can do it well we got one i wrote this sentence that i want that i want to read i don't even know if it makes sense but I said she's rendering words for no one to read because that makes her ontologically secure. Quote, I write, therefore I am. The words themselves are the concrete bearing on the universe. So she's proving to herself that she exists because she's able to write it down? Yeah. Even Which though is, the whole thing is like she doesn't exist because nobody gives a shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she's proving to herself the world is wrong and I'm right. Yeah. And anyone who. Okay. You know. Yeah. Anyway, I, fi- I think this book is devastating. Yeah, I mean, if it's with our first theme and this, it's it's a it's a twofer. Yeah, on grief. Do I have anything else written down? I don't. I think yeah, Bart Simpson. I think that's good. I feel I have this drawing of Bart Simpson in my book. Read the Exter's email. Hey, she gave me a little bit of a preview, which is uh, just that she said she's going to recap some conversations that we had. But I want to note that there was a conversation that we had, and it might be in this email in which I was incredibly condescending to her about calling this book dumb. So maybe that's in there. Maybe. Or relitigate a fight. Once you texted me this morning about when you're reading, uh, or when 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 we are recording, I was like, I heard there's some contention among the lemonade. <laughs> we have an email address: lottery at cageclub.me. Meg's reaction to Wittgenstein's mistress. I thought I wouldn't be able to finish this one on time, but I woke up early and got through it. I didn't have a lot to write a time to write this, so I'll try to be quick. Most of this book felt like quote structured fluff in that the text didn't matter on a word by word basis. Mm-hmm. 
but it was imperative to the structure of the novel. I found it similar to Duck's Newburyport, but Wit- Wittgenstein's mistress did it more effectively. Yeah. Do you think that? Uh, I do. I think this is a better book than Duck's Newburyport. I think I, I like Ducks a lot more, even though it's like it took me 10 times as long to get there. I can, I can elaborate. Does she explain she what she means? Well, okay. she says Ducks L- chickened her, out of yeah. using the non-narrative storytelling to tie a little bow, but Wittgenstein kept the style the same until mm-hmm. the very end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This was, yeah, Meg mentioned that to me in the conversation, and I thought that was a really smart note um, that I didn't, hadn't, hadn't occurred to me. But yeah, I mean, that was my, my criticism of Ducks was that it uses this, uh, fake catharsis to to sort of explode what to that point had been an examination of mundanity i was trying to decide if this if she were getting facts wrong about something i knew more about if i would like this more because i think Uh what i liked about ducks is that it's modern and she's talking about like harrison ford movies and stuff like that so like there's like three sentences in a row she's like talking about baseball i'm like here we go and then she like basically never talks about baseball again but like I wonder if I would be annoyed if she like keeps being like, you know, Babe Ruth, that famous white sock or whatever. Like it'd be like that kind of thing where she's like, I don't know. Cause I don't think, I mean, I'm sure that it does. And I'm sure you would contradict me here, but I don't know that it matters that she's talking specifically about artists. I think she could probably be talking about celebrity or known people, but instead of talking about like, you know, Marilyn Monroe's acting ability, she exclusively talks about like affairs she had. Well, okay. So I think, I think what's important here is that, the people that she's talking about are recognizable insofar as you know who they are, kind of. You've heard of them at right? least. Right, like you know Heidegger, you know Rembrandt. I know Rembrandt. I don't really know if I know Heidegger. I, I, I maybe have seen the name. Okay, no, that's but what that's, I mean. That's, that's, ex- that's exactly what I mean. Markson can get away with the fake stuff. Right. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, like, and, and I, that's like, I, I think essential is not knowing, being being in this liminal state between, like. So you think he's choosing to be obscure, like something that's like using using a uh, uh, high level, not high level, but like sort of, uh, and not even esoteric, but so, sort of like artists and and you know opera and classical music yeah. and things like that because it's shit that people don't really know about right they recognize the names but they don't know like the actions of those sure you, you don't know what um you know uh rachmaninoff like did for like whether or not he enjoyed golf mm-hmm. like you don't know that and that's that's important but if if i if i were to say to you uh here's this thing about uh natalie wood that's that's like so much easier to to know. Yeah, I, I think like I think I was trying to wrap my head around this. The style and the structure are the style and the structure by design in both these novels, right? It's like the the point by both is these, you mean ducks and Wittgenstein okay. that like it's written in this way for this reason. Like this is the thing that we're doing. This is what we're commenting on. This is like the challenge to get through it or whatever. And I think because it's diff, I think both of them are difficult. I think having a basis of things that I understood and recognized made, again, not as a negative, the slog of ducks more enjoyable than the slog of Wittgenstein because I had a a thing to grasp onto. Okay. And I also thought that was like funny. I think the humor went a long way. Yeah. Even though I agree, I agree with X point. I think X point is good that like this, Although this doesn't, I mean, it, it goes till the end, but like you said, we you, we talked about earlier, it pivots. It, it doesn't really stick the same way through the entire thing. Like there is a twist, a change, a shift at the end. How? Well, what's the shift? I mean, it becomes about the author. It doesn't. It's not. It's no longer about Kate. Yeah, but Kate's the author. But you, we were talking about before about how it almost it's almost like Marx and writing about himself. Yeah, it could be, but like in 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 this context, it's still like. So you don't like ducks because ducks has like the whole like the the gunfire in the in the kitchen. Yeah, and you, have, you and you have these characters becoming heroes, and you have like bravery, and you have. I think it's also set up in the first nine hundred fifty pages of that book or whatever that that bravery is coming and that the guns that, are that a thing is coming. I That's know, the problem. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. You like a non-ending. I know. That's the, 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 the problem is that it, it, it's like purporting to be this thing about mundanity and then pivots away from mundanity. This is not do, this is not doing that. This is about the the um, trying to cling to a truth that you can't access that that even a word such as loneliness is is so like uh, 
slips through your fingers because because it can mean so so many different sure. things. How can you be alone in a crowd? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't by the definition of loneliness. Like how do you feel isolated when you're so not isolated? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Fair. The consciousness, Egg says, that the language was interesting, but it also felt like it got in the way and got more tiring to read. For example, the narrator always correcting herself to indicate type or write when she used the word say. Mm. I found stuff. I'm always correcting students with that bullshit. I liked, I mean, I don't know if it's the same exact thing she's saying, but like fighting with, she's like, well, obviously against. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I like that. I like the whole, like, the, I mean, that's a language thing, right? Just, like, fighting with means two, two yeah, the opposite like, things. Yeah, like, it's about precision. In, yeah, it's about yeah. it's about precision in language and how precision in language is ultimately impossible. And colloquialism sort of rob us of the job of language, even if that job, even if it signifies it still, like, makes descriptivist idea of, of signifying being the main purpose of language drives us toward language becoming more and more abstract and through abstraction language does its job worse and worse. The counter is that prescriptivist grammar is fucking racist and, and, and like upholds coercive power structures, right? So it helps you get do the job really precisely and well. It's the fucking, it's fascism, right? The trains run on time, but it fails the people. Can't have it both ways. Can't have it both ways. The way time passes egg rights, that is not at all, is also interesting. For example, the narrator mentioned something being, quote, the longest period I've allowed to go by without sitting at the typewriter. I mentioned this before, I think. Mm. Version I wrote just a series of paragraphs with no chapter or longer breaks. No time is ever indicated to pass structurally for the reader, which we talked about before. Oh, that's a great point. Great point, Meg. I made that point. Yeah, it's better when she does. God damn it. All in all, just don't try to mend fences with egg here. All in all, I'm begrudgingly glad I read the novel. I definitely would not ah, have finished if it weren't for the podcast. We got her. All right. My voice is fucked, man. Yeah. Good thing we're at the end. Is it, is it like, has it just gone progressively worse as we've gone on? It wasn't noticeable. And then like all of a sudden it is. I want you to stop talking, but keep reading. I want, yeah. I want to say also that we're, um, like the air quality in New Jersey is really awful right now. Yeah. Not as bad as it was. Not as bad as it was that last time, but this oh time it's still, still not good. Still pretty bad. Um, we're going to say that today's crime is arson. Okay.